the Law School of America. The United States Constitution contains several provisions regarding the law of criminal procedure. Petty jury and venue provisions, both traceable to enumerated complaints in the Declaration of Independence, are included in Article 3 of the United States Constitution. More criminal procedure provisions are contained in the United States Bill of Rights, specifically the Fifth, Sixth, and Eighth Amendments. With the exception of the Grand Jury Clause of the Fifth Amendment, the Vicinage Clause of the Sixth Amendment, and, maybe, the Excessive Bail Clause of the Eighth Amendment, all of the criminal procedure provisions of the Bill of Rights have been incorporated to apply to the state governments. Several of these rights regulate pretrial procedure, access to a non-excessive bail, the right to indictment by a grand jury, the right to an information, charging document, the right to a speedy trial, and the right to be tried in a specific venue. Several of these rights are trial rights, the right to compulsory process for obtaining witnesses at trial, the right to confront witnesses at trial, the right to a public trial, the right to a trial by an impartial petty jury selected from a specific geography, and the right not to be compelled to testify against oneself. Others, such as the assistance of counsel and due process rights, have application throughout the proceeding. If a defendant is convicted, the usual remedy for a violation of one of these provisions is reversal of the conviction or modification of the defendant's sentence. With the exception of structural errors, such as the total denial of counsel, constitutional errors are subject to harmless error analysis, although they must be harmless beyond a reasonable doubt. With the exception of a double jeopardy or speedy trial violation, the government will usually be permitted to retry the defendant. Pursuant to the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, EPA, these provisions are the source of nearly all reviewable errors in federal habeas review of state convictions. Relevant Text Article 3, Section 2, Clause 3 of the United States Constitution provides that Trial of all crimes, except in cases of impeachment, shall be by jury, and such trial shall be held in the state where the said crimes shall have been committed, but when not committed within any state, the trial shall be at such place or places as the Congress may by law have directed. The Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution provides, in relevant part, that no person shall be held to answer for a capital, or otherwise infamous crime, unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces, or in the militia, when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property, without due process of law. The Sixth Amendment to the United States Constitution provides that In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial, by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. The Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution provides, in relevant part, that excessive bail shall not be required. The Fourteenth Amendment to the United States Constitution provides, in relevant part, that or shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property, without due process of law nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. History The Supreme Court of the United States issued almost no constitutional criminal procedure decisions for its first century of existence. Professor Akilamar highlights two reasons for this. 
First, the court's decision in Barron v. Baltimore, 1833, meant that the federal constitution did not apply in state proceedings until the incorporation of the Bill of Rights after the 14th Amendment. Second, the court lacked general appellate jurisdiction over federal criminal cases until 1891. The Marshall Court possessed jurisdiction in criminal cases only via writs of error from state courts, original writs of habeas corpus, and certificates of division from the circuit courts. In three cases involving certificates of division, the Marshall Court decided issues of double jeopardy, but did not clearly rely on the double jeopardy clause. Similarly, the Marshall Court discussed the level of detail required for a sufficient indictment without explicitly citing the information clause of the Sixth Amendment. In two appeals from state courts, the Taney Court considered, and rejected, double jeopardy claims arising from the hypothetical prospect of prosecution by the federal and state governments for the same conduct. The first Supreme Court decisions to reverse state criminal convictions for constitutional procedural reasons involved the exclusion of African Americans for grand and petty juries, Strader v. West Virginia, 1880, Virginia v. Rives, 1880, Neal v. Delaware, 1881, Carter v. Texas, 1900, Rogers v. Alabama, 1904, and Norris v. Alabama, 1935 and the conviction African American defendants for crimes involving white victims in the southern states, by a mob-dominated trial, as in Moore v. Dempsey, 1923, and without counsel, as in Powell v. Alabama, 1932. Pre-trial procedure. Bail. U.S. Gonst. Amend. 8 provides. Excessive bail shall not be required. Stack v. Boyle, 1951, is the only case in which the Supreme Court has held the bail imposed to have been constitutionally excessive. There, the court found $50,000 to be excessive in relation to the flight risk for impecunious defendants charged under the Smith Act. In United States v. Salerno, 1987, the court upheld the Bail Reform Act of 1984, which authorized the consideration of future dangerousness in the determination of the amount of, or the denial of, bail. The incorporation status of the excessive bail clause is unclear. In Schild v. Quebel, 1971, the court stated in dicta, bail, of course, is basic to our system of law, and the Eighth Amendment's proscription of excessive bail has been assumed to have application to the states through the Fourteenth Amendment. In Murphy v. Hunt, 1982, the court did not reach the issue because the case was dismissed as moot. Bail was included in the list of incorporated rights in McDonald v. Chicago, 2010, citing Shelp. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Grand Jury. U.S. Gonst. Amend v. provides. No person shall be held to answer for a capital, or otherwise infamous crime, unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces, or in the militia, when in actual service in time of war or public danger. The grand jury clause applies only to capital and otherwise infamous crimes. Any crime punishable by imprisonment in the penitentiary is infamous. Only those convicted of felonies, for example, Crimes punishable by greater than one year of imprisonment, are confined to a penitentiary. Any crime punishable by hard labor, regardless of the term or place of imprisonment, is also infamous. Contempt of court, even if punished by greater than one year imprisonment, is not infamous. In Hurtado v. California, 1884, the Supreme Court held that the Grand Jury Clause was not incorporated to apply to the states by the 14th Amendment. If the grand jury right attaches, every element of the charged crime must be submitted to the grand jury. Thus, the prosecution cannot augment the indictment without returning to a grand jury. But, 
the government may narrow the indictment without so returning. The grand jury clause does very little, if anything, to regulate the procedures of the grand jury. For example, the clause does not prohibit a grand jury indictment based solely on hearsay evidence. Non-fundamental flaws with a grand jury, such as a violation of the defendant's self-incrimination rights or a violation of grand jury secrecy do not trigger a right not to be tried. In United States v. Williams, 1992, where the court rejected a rule that would have required substantial exculpatory evidence to be presented to the grand jury, the defendant did not even argue a Fifth Amendment violation. The lack of a grand jury does not deprive the court of jurisdiction, and the defendant may waive the grand jury right. Information. U.S. Gonst. Amend. Vi provides. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation. A charging instrument is constitutionally sufficient under this clause, and under the grand jury clause, if it, one, contains the elements of the offense intended to be charged, and sufficiently apprises the defendant of what he must be prepared to meet, and, two, shows with accuracy to what extent he may plead double jeopardy in a subsequent prosecution. This right has been incorporated. In a case submitted to a grand jury, the indictment must satisfy this requirement. In cases not required to be submitted to a grand jury, the formal charging instrument is referred to as an information, in the federal system and in some states, or a complaint. Speedy trial. U.S. Gonst. Amend. Vi provides. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy trial. The Speedy Trial Clause regulates delay between the bringing of a formal criminal charge and or the pre-trial deprivation of the accused's liberty and the start of trial. The clause has been incorporated to apply in state prosecutions. In Barker v. Wingo, 1972, the Supreme Court announced four factors relevant to the determination of a Speedy Trial Clause violation, 1, the length of the delay, 2, the reason for the delay, 3, whether the defendant demanded a speedy trial, and, 4, prejudice. Applying Barker, the court found such a violation in Doggett v. United States, 1992, which involved an over eight-year period between indictment and arrest. The only possible remedy for a speedy trial clause violation is dismissal with prejudice. Venue. U.S. Gonst. Art. 3, Section 2, C.L. 3 provides. Trial of all crimes, shall be held in the state where the said crimes shall have been committed but when not committed within any state, the trial shall be at such place or places as the Congress may by law have directed. The perceived abuse of English criminal venue law was one of the enumerated grievances in the United States Declaration of Independence, which accused George III of the United Kingdom of transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses. The where the said crimes shall have been committed language refers to the locus delicti. He locus delicti must be determined from the nature of the crime alleged and the location of the act or acts constituting it. Thus, a single crime may often give rise to several constitutionally permissible venues, and the venue may be constitutionally permissible even if an individual defendant was never personally present in the relevant state. For example, conspiracy may be prosecuted wherever the agreement occurred or wherever any overt act was committed. For the purposes of constitutional venue, the boundaries of the states are questions of law to be determined by the judge, but the location of the crime is a question of fact to be determined by the jury. The venue provision of Article 3, regulating the location of the trial, is distinct from the vicinage clause of the Sixth Amendment, regulating the geography from which the jury pool is selected. The unit of the former is the state, the unit of the later is the state and judicial district. 
unlike judicial districts under the vicinage clause, consistent with Article 3, Congress may provide a place of trial where none was provided when the offense was committed, or change the place of trial after the commission of the offense. Trial Procedure Compulsory Process U.S. Gonst Amend Vi provides In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to have a compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor. The compulsory process clause guarantees the defendant the right to obtain favorable witnesses at trial. For example, the clause prevents a jurisdiction from precluding defendants from calling their co-defendants as witnesses. Similarly, the clause prevents the government from deporting a witness whose testimony would have been both material and favorable to the defense. The right does not preempt reasonable procedural rules. Thus, the right does not prevent the preclusion of defense witnesses as a discovery sanction. Confrontation. U.S. Gonst. Amend. Vi provides. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to be confronted with the witnesses against him. In Crawford v. Washington, 2004, the Supreme Court held that the Confrontation Clause bars the admission of testimonial statements of a witness who did not appear at trial unless pursuant to one of the exceptions established at the time of the founding. When the declarant appears for cross-examination at trial, the Confrontation Clause places no constraints at all on the use of his prior testimonial statements, so long as the declarant is present at trial to defend or explain it. In Davis v. Washington, 2006, the court held that the clause places no restrictions on non-testimonial statements. Crawford did not completely define the term testimonial. But, Crawford held that, whatever else the term covers, it applies at a minimum to prior testimony at a preliminary hearing, before a grand jury, or at a former trial, and to police interrogations. Laboratory reports of forensic tests are also testimonial, conferring on the defendant the right to cross-examine the analyst who certifies them. Statements made during police interrogation are non-testimonial if circumstances objectively indicate that the primary purpose of the interrogation is to enable police assistance to meet an ongoing emergency but are testimonial if circumstances objective indicate that there is no such ongoing emergency, and that the primary purpose of the interrogation is to establish or prove past events potentially relevant to later criminal prosecution. He relevant inquiry is not the subjective or actual purpose of the individuals involved in a particular encounter but rather the purpose that reasonable participants would have had, as ascertained from the individual's statements and actions and the circumstances in which the encounter occurred. One exception established at the founding is if the witness is unavailable to testify, and the defendant had had a prior opportunity for cross-examination. Another such exception is forfeiture by wrongdoing, for example, where the defendant intends to obtain and obtains the absence of the witness by wrongdoing. Still another exception is the use of testimonial statements for purposes other than establishing the truth of the matter asserted. Another possible exception is for dying declarations, for example, statements made by a speaker on the brink of death while aware that he or she is dying. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America